0: NeverSinkGeneralStore.com, And from listeners like you,
1: WJFF Jeffersonville, Radio Catskill. On the
2: next Janice Adams show, we're taking a path through history to Waterloo, New York, birthplace of Memorial Day and a 19th century sanctuary city.
0: If you're going to be a truly patriotic American, you've got to be believing and promoting human rights for everyone. We're a nation that was born of revolution. You've got to be activists in promoting causes. We saw that manifested in Waterloo in terms of patriotic remembrance of the sacrifice of Waterloo residents in the Civil War. And so we have Decoration Day, which becomes Memorial Day, evolving out of that. And I think that's still a lesson for us yet today.
2: So much to see, so much to discover. I love New York. First, the news.
3: NPR News, I'm Barbara Klein. The Defense Department says a U.S. drone strike in Afghanistan has killed two ISIS-K militants involved in Thursday's deadly attack outside the Kabul airport. NPR's Jackie Northam reports from Islamabad in neighboring Pakistan. The strike comes after President Biden said the U.S. would hunt down those responsible for the bombing at the Kabul airport on Thursday, which
2: killed more than 160 people and 13 American service members. Meanwhile, the risk of another attack is high, and Americans are urged to stay away from the airport. Crowds of Afghans hoping to get on an evacuation flight are also much
3: smaller than earlier this week. Jackie Northam, NPR News, Islamabad. Army Major General Hank Taylor says more than 117,000 people have been evacuated from Afghanistan. The vast majority are Afghan citizens. He says about 5,400 of the evacuees are U.S. citizens. The U.S. Gulf Coast has been put on alert as Hurricane Ida picks up strength in the Gulf of Mexico. Meteorologist Rob Marciano says Ida is expected to make landfall in Louisiana tomorrow afternoon, and when it does, it'll have a powerful impact.
0: I have a big surge with this, especially along the mouth of the Mississippi River, outside the levee zones. This is going to be inundated. We'll see some levee overtopping as well, 10 to 15 feet of that. And on top of that, we will see rainfall in excess of 10 to 15 inches in some spots. And that could be in New Orleans proper.
3: Ida is expected to arrive as a Category 4 hurricane on the same date 16 years ago that Hurricane Katrina made landfall. Thousands of activists are marching for voting rights in Washington, D.C. this hour. Demonstrators are also out in several other cities in March On! events organized to mobilize against restrictive new voting laws. But as Houston Public Media's Camila Hannibal Smith reports, Dallas and Houston have canceled March On events because of the pandemic.
2: The March On for voting rights in Houston would have taken place a day after the Texas House passed a new voting restrictions bill. But rising COVID-19 cases and a shortage of hospital beds and staff made organizers call it quits. Shannon Perez leads outreach efforts for March On's Texas events.
3: Yeah, just this week, uh, Harris County Judge Hidalgo announced that she was asking for $30 million to pay for relief nurses, and we just we just couldn't hold um, events that weren't socially distanced um, under these circumstances.
2: She says there are no plans to reschedule. March on rallies are still set for many cities, including San Antonio and an altered version in Atlanta. Texas's voting rights bill still awaits state Senate approval. I'm Camilo Hannibal-Smith in Houston.
3: This
4: is NPR. This is Radio Catskill. I'm Liam Mayo from The River Reporter. Pennsylvania's opioid disaster declaration ended this past Wednesday, August 25, after the Republican-controlled General Assembly declined to extend it. Governor Tom Wolf declared the Assembly had determined that a disaster declaration was no longer the most effective tool in battling the opioid epidemic, but that the Commonwealth was still committed to offering support and services to individuals needing help with substance use disorders. The disaster declaration was first signed in January 2018 and has been renewed 15 times in the two and a half years since. Pike County is asking for advice on how to spend its funding from the American Rescue Plan Act. The county has released a set of surveys targeting businesses, municipalities and nonprofits, asking what impact the pandemic has had on their operations and what funding is needed for full recovery. The surveys can be found on the Pike Forward website at www.pikeforward.com. That's www.pikeforward.com. And over in Wayne County, the borough of Honesdale is making plans to spend its portion of American Rescue Plan Act funding. Honesdale learned in late July that it is eligible for a little under $450,000, and it's considering hiring a CPA firm to help administer this funding at the county and the borough levels. The borough is separately eligible for Community Development Block Grant funding, designed to benefit low- and moderate-income individuals and areas. Suggestions for spending that funding include improvements of the steps connecting Cottage Street and Riverside Drive, and the demolition of certain long-blighted buildings. This news roundup is produced in partnership with The River Reporter. I'm Liam Mayo.
3: Today
2: on the Janice Adams Show, we're traveling the next spur on the path through history in upstate New York. We began this series following Underground Railroad Trails to Peterborough. Auburn and Rochester. We visited the homes of the greatest underground railroad conductor of them all, Harriet Tubman, and women's rights champion Susan B. Anthony. Journeyed back in time to Rochester, the city that welcomed a freedom seeker, fugitive slave so-called, and released his inner orator, publisher, statesman, Frederick Douglass. We met Thomas James and Austin Stewart, fellow freedom seekers who'd inspired Douglass's life and work. For this episode, we're on our way to Waterloo, New York, birthplace of the annual Memorial Day commemorations. In the mid-19th century, Waterloo was home to an enclave of African-American families who found a haven there. Freedom seekers all, most had been enslaved either in the South Or the North. Some had been liberated in 1827 when New York became the last of the northern states to abolish slavery. Others were so called free born persons of color. All knew the terrors of the American slavocracy. And why are we revisiting those 19th century days now? Of particular relevance to us today. Waterloo has the distinction of having been a 19th century sanctuary city. Here to tell the tale is our guide, Seneca County's official historian, Walter Gable.
0: We're going to be seeing sites. That are still private residences that were sites of homes of African American families, some of whom were freedom seekers, in other words, actual fugitive slaves before the Civil War, some of which were freed persons of color, as the phrasing tended to be used at that time. Waterloo had several African American families living here uh, before the Civil War. I think one of the reasons for that is simply that there was a large Quaker population. And of course, the Quakers have tended, because of their innate belief in the equality of all people, that uh, they were very much activists in the anti-slavery effort. And so there was a lot of underground railroad activity that was taking place. Uh, Obviously, they needed jobs, and there were a lot of expanding businesses in Waterloo, as well as in neighboring Seneca Falls. And so I think that helps to explain why many of these freedom seekers didn't have to go all the way to Canada to enjoy freedom as they escaped from enslavement on the plantations because there were job opportunities and there was what I call a climate of acceptance and support here. We're going to see that many of these African-Americans tended to congregate into one neighborhood on North Walnut Street.
2: So here we go. How do we get there? We're just going
0: to go up here, stop, and take a left. Now, Seneca County being in the center part of the Finger Lakes area, uh, obviously there were many freedom seekers that would uh, come through Seneca County. We believe that many of those that came to Seneca County came up through Pennsylvania to Elmira, where where the Reverend John Jones uh, would help them then proceed north. And there were a variety of routes that They could take from there. Some of them just continued right up either Cuga Lake or Seneca Lake, almost like it's a funnel drawing them north to Lake Ontario, where they could then cross the lake to Canada, which had abolished slavery before it was abolished in the United States. And so that's why Canada was seen as a haven. But as uh, I do want to point out, that many of the African Americans are going to settle here in Seneca Falls and Waterloo because of the job opportunities and that they were accepted here. And right now as soon as we cross the railroad tracks, we're going to be approaching the neighborhood that was very much an African American neighborhood. Here are these houses on the left the house with the green shutters over here, or this red house. We seem to have a little difference of opinion according to the records. Either 43 or 45 North Walnut was the home of Henry de Henry de himself was probably a freedom seeker, but his wife was a free person of color. Now up here on the right The house just beyond that car that we're seeing, the story and a half house, that was the home of Thomas and Mariah Jackson. And once again, he was a freedom seeker. She was probably a free person of color. And so when they buy this house... It will be put in her name because in 1848, New York State has passed a Married Women's Property Act, that it was legal now for women, even married women, to own property. And so, therefore, rather than run the risk of his being captured and the family being dispossessed of their house, by putting the house in the wife's name, because she's a free person of color, that they can be sure to do it. But you see right here, these houses, they all look of the same general time period. And it's a reflection that, yes, there were job opportunities here in Waterloo, but it's nice to be in your own neighborhood, you see, and so that you can Interact with one another, you can have some greater degree of security as a
2: result. I um, was struck by the fact that we came across the railroad tracks. And my, my mind said, why in America are the railroad tracks always a divider between communities? Well, you know, I don't look at it that way
0: for here in Seneca Falls and Waterloo because these communities were developing and growing economically before the railroad came in 1841. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, I don't see the jargon of the other side of the railroad tracks that you hear talked about so much in communities.
2: Well, I'm, I'm wondering, honestly, you know... But but that's something to be researched because then, is it that the railroads took land that was quote less desirable? So that's where they put the the railroads, which in some places is is the case, you know, because of eminent domain, whose home you can take versus whose home you can't take.
0: I can't speak to that specifically for this particular Auburn Road, as it's called. Uh,
2: Mm-hmm. But when I asked the question, I could see a note of recognition on your face that maybe this is possible, and I don't know yes. the answer either. Yeah. I don't know
0: the answer either, but it certainly is possible. Yeah.
2: The home that you mentioned that was in the wife's name, and you mentioned that 1848 law, which of course is interesting because that's also Seneca Falls. Yes. So you wonder, well, who was behind making this law, but...
0: You see, so much is happening in 1848. We have the Married Women's Property Act being passed. The state legislature is considering uh, a revision, a major new writing of a state constitution, which still hasn't happened. We have the Women's Rights Convention being held. And throughout that summer in Seneca Falls, a series of Free Soil Party meetings were being held in Seneca Falls. The Free Soil Party had arisen deliberately on the part of northerners who were so opposed to the possibility that any of the territories were acquiring from Mexico in the Mexican War, territories that become known as the Mexican Session, that they don't want any of that territory to be possibly becoming slave states of the Union. This Free Soil Party is having that as a goal.
2: And then just to put that in context for... Um, other people, once you mention the acquisition of Mexican territories, then, in 1848, rem- reminding people, 1849 is a gold rush in
0: California. And we have a direct connection to that in Seneca Falls because we start making iron, all iron cast pumps in Seneca Falls. And pumps are going to be very important for maintaining or providing a continuous water supply that can be used for the sluices for the gold miners in California. And so there's that happening in 1848. Another thing that's happening in 1848 here locally is there's a major division of opinion that's taking place with within the Quaker people. The Thomas and Marianne McClintock here in Waterloo are very instrumental in the formation of the Hicksite Quakers evolving into the Progressive Friends or the Friends of Social Progress, a more, shall we say, a more intensely motivated reform group. And so they're going to be not only concerned about African-Americans. They're going to be concerned about mistreatment of the Seneca Indians. They're going to obviously naturally lend themselves to support for the Women's Rights Convention.
2: We know that 1850 with the Fugitive Slave Law does make some people who were, quote, fugitives have to move on. Are there any stories of fugitive escapes and fugitives... Being caught. Yes, there are
0: two stories that I would point out. On October 1st, 1851, there was a famous incident in Syracuse, New York, that is known as the Jerry Rescue, and it's celebrated annually, and there's a big statue to that effect. This Jerry had been working in Syracuse for many years. He was a freedom seeker himself. With the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850, his continued existence, along with other freedom seekers in Syracuse, were obviously threatened. And as a matter of fact, Secretary of State Daniel Webster came to Syracuse and reminded the people of Syracuse, you have a responsibility to comply with the Fugitive Slave Act that was part of the Compromise of 1850. And that Fugitive Slave Act will be enforced. But there were many in Syracuse
2: that were willing to defy federal law. You said the Compromise of 1850. What was that compromise? The
0: Compromise of 1850 was actually a series of laws that the Congress passed working out agreements between North and South. And we're going to take a right turn here in two more blocks. Okay, I was saying that we had people in Syracuse that were willing to defy the federal law. And they had organized, like many northern communities, we had a group of abolitionists that had organized into a vigilance committee. And one of the key leaders of that vigilance committee was the Reverend Jermaine Logan, who himself was a freedom seeker. And he operated his house as a safe house, a station on the Underground Railroad, and he openly advertised to that effect that it was a safe house on the Underground Railroad. Well, slave catchers came into Syracuse, and they apprehended this Jerry, and he was put in a jail downtown and to be moved the next day on his way back to the south. But this local vigilance committee with Jermaine Logan, they plot immediately. They break into the jail that night, they get Jerry out, and they get him out of town, and eventually they get him to a swing going across Lake Ontario. Jerry is rescued, but Jermaine Logan, he says now, he says, I'm in real jeopardy here because I'm a fugitive slave myself. I'm a freedom seeker. So he decides, I better go to Canada for a while until things cool off. And so he proceeds almost immediately to go to Canada. But where does he spend his first night? Here in Waterloo at the home of Thomas and Ann McClintock. Quakers, you see. And so we get the Jerry Rescue incident. Then we have another one. We have Thomas James. I love to talk about Thomas James. He's a freedom seeker who becomes a very prosperous barber in Seneca Falls. And there's a time period when he goes to Canada after coming here in the early 1830s to Seneca Falls. He goes to Canada and lets things cool off a little bit, and then he comes back. And he becomes such a prosperous barber that he's owning several pieces of property in uh, Seneca Falls. And during the Civil War, he starts building a three-story building, and he's going to have his barbershop relocated to the basement of that building. But it's a very prominent three-story building that still exists yet today. And we we know that he was a freedom seeker because we found newspaper clippings about him in scrapbooks of a Mrs. CO Goodyear in the local Seneca Falls Historical Society archives and in those newspaper clippings it just commonly reported that he was a fugitive slave himself you know and so on like that i just think this is amazing in Elizabeth Cady Stanton in her autobiography, she refers that she and other ladies they decided they were going to get their new hairdo, you know, the new style that along with the bloomer outfit, you know, to wear, that they went to James the Barber and got their curls cut. She didn't mention in the autobiography that James was an African-American or a fugitive slave, but she probably didn't have to because everybody knew Thomas James at the time, who he was, where he'd come from, and so on like that.
2: You know, this is fascinating because once again, we, we look at history and realize it's not really so far in the past, which is what coming to these homes and You feel as though you can touch the people, you know, by so doing. And then it raises the question, well, then what is the connection to this time? And here we are in a period where we're talking about sanctuary cities. And it strikes me that the area we're in was a sanctuary city.
0: It was de facto a sanctuary city. I agree 100% on that
2: okay and is from that can you can you share anything about what that meant to well, to the other people
0: i think something that we're really seeing today as a parallel along these lines is that we may have an administration with its particular policies and many people disagreeing with them and that they are being motivated that there's a higher line of a higher moral order or a higher level of reasoning that we're going to become more active to promote that and that certainly was true of the abolitionists that were willing to defy the fusion of slave act of 1850 they knew what the consequences could be if they were apprehended for their de- for their defiance but they just had a higher calling and they were willing to break the law to, to to do that. And so we've always been a nation born out of revolution in which people protest. And I think we believe strongly in our First Amendment rights of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and so on. And so I think we see that here by a bunch of people in Waterloo that were obviously going to provide protection for these freedom seekers in the years before the Civil War. And and it's a model. It's an inspiration. It's a lesson for people today that if they don't agree with government policies, there is a way to channel that disagreement into demonstration and so on.
2: And, of course, the horror of seeing people just picked up and carried off by the government and taken away saying that they violate the fugitive slave law is being mirrored in the horror of seeing Mexican-Americans, Latinos, just rounded up and picked up and put in shackles. And there is something about the idea that we are being manipulated into accepting that vision. But I also think that, Maybe at
0: the present time, we're really being tested as to how strongly we believe in our core values. And sometimes we have to really be put to that test to come out of it as stronger human beings. We're here in the main s- intersection of Waterloo, but we're going to proceed west. We're seeing lots of flags on display and the banners for this weekend celebrate, commemorate Memorial Day weekend here in w- Waterloo, the big celebration. And here we have the historic marker about Waterloo as the birthplace of Memorial Day.
2: Joining me on this trip was my colleague, Jason Dole. Here he is with his own question for Walt Gable.
0: Waterloo also has a strong connection to freedom, justice, human rights, civil rights. And I was wondering if you could talk about where, where does activism meet patriotism? Because it seems to be doing that here in Waterloo. That's an interesting question. And I, I, I think that if you're going to be a truly patriotic American, you've got to be believing and promoting human rights for everyone. Otherwise, you're not truly an American. We're a nation born of immigrants. We're a nation that was born of revolution. And so you've got to be activists, you know, uh, in promoting causes. And we saw that manifested in Waterloo in terms of patriotic remembrance of the sacrifice of Waterloo residents in the Civil War. And so we have Decoration Day, which becomes Memorial Day, evolving out of that. And I think that's still a lesson for us yet today.
2: Coming up after the break on the Janice Adams Show, more of our visit to Waterloo, New York, with our guest and guide, Seneca County historian, Walter Gable
1: trying to make it real compared to what Next time on The and Monkeys with Negro Graham Rice here on Radio Catskill we really will hear songs about horses Marking the passing of Nancy Griffith took precedence last time and you can still hear that show at waggonload.org Please join me on Sunday at 3 for songs about horses
0: If you're feeling the love,
1: share the love.
0: If you're feeling the love, share the love.
1: Think about why you love having Radio Catskill. Then,
0: if you can give a gift of $10, $15, $20 a month or more,
2: become a sound supporter so that we can have
0: your constant support. Become a sound supporter.
1: If you're feeling the love, share the love. Go to wjffradio.org
4: so that we have your constant support. What I really need is somebody.
2: We're back here on The Janice Adams Show, continuing along the path through history to Waterloo, New York, with Walter Gable, Seneca County's official historian, as our guide. I asked Walt about his own journey to becoming county historian. In December of 1972,
0: I went to the Soviet Union ...as part of a group of social studies educators in the United States. And as much as I was thrilled by that trip to get to see all of these wonderfully historical places and the museums... ...and got into specialized English schools, elementary and secondary levels in St. Petersburg and in Moscow... As we were leaving and the pilot announced we were no longer over Soviet territory, these 300 of us, we erupted into a spontaneous round of applause. And I think, and you can see the tears are welling in my eyes, and this is 45 years ago now, you know, kind of a thing that it was because we had experienced firsthand a totalitarian society where we had to be ever vigilant to follow their procedures and get confronted every once in a while, as I did, trying to take a picture where the guide said it was OK. But the local guards were not willing to let me take that picture that this was so Different from our democracy, that I I think that that's why we just applauded, because we had seen firsthand how important our democratic society was.
2: The emotion that you are still feeling 45 years later um, is is just striking because I am thinking of a congressional candidate literally picked up a reporter because he did not like the fact that he was being asked a legitimate question, picked him up and threw him, body slammed him, threw him to the ground, and actually thought he would get support from others for what he had just done. There's been a reporter who was arrested by a guard for asking a question at a town hall meeting, that the congressman did not like the idea that he had asked the question, and the reporter was arrested for it. These are the stories that have to be told, and this history tells us what's behind the bend if we are not vigilant. And I think that's what's so important to me about what you're feeling and and the story you're telling
0: you know i some of my high school teaching i taught seniors and we taught a participation in government course in which we really went through processes by which you can do proper protesting you you can write letters and you can lobby with petitions and so on like that And I take great pride when I see young people that are demonstrating against government policies that they don't like, that they are working against candidates who are taking positions that they do not approve of. I think we should really rejoice that those things can happen, and for the most part, they happen
2: without acts of violence. What you were just talking about is a real tragedy that's the compromise of 1850 that today is going to represent. I feel your passion. I mean, the car is not big enough to contain it. But, and so I, how did you become county historian?
0: Well, I was a high school social studies teacher for 32 years and had a very successful teaching career. Um, managed to take an early retirement uh, was doing a lot of consulting work in test development for the State Education Department of New York. For example, I was actually in Monterey, California on a consulting job at the time of 9-11, and so I saw firsthand the patriotism in California for an incident that happened in New York City. I was also supervising student teachers, teaching a course as an adjunct instructor at neighboring Hobart and William Smith Colleges, but there was a vacancy in the position of county historian. And finally, I got approached to see if I would be interested. And as I learned about the job, I just said, there is so much potential here. Things were in such disarray, but there is so much potential. I I just felt as if I was called to do that work and the county was getting ready to celebrate its bicentennial and so I could be a part of that and I naturally drew upon my teaching skills and so I was getting the local newspapers to agree to write uh, that I could include newspaper articles for it. I do a lot of programs uh, for school and community groups and so on and so I just feel like it's a natural part of what I had been preparing for in 32 years of teaching as a second career. I call my, it's a part-time job that's a full-time hobby.
2: <laughs> and now with uh, this amazing 700-page volume that you just shared with me entitled Discovering the Underground Railroad, Abolitionism, and African-American Life in Seneca County, New York, 1820 to 1888, In shepherding something like this. And then the fact that it is available online, essentially now the world is your classroom.
0: Oh, what a wonderful comment for you to have made. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Now, these kinds of reports were done by Dr. Judith Wellman for several counties in New York State, and they are all available online. I've also, as county historian now, uh, been the author for three different books. I have my third one coming out uh, middle of
2: July. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you'll share that with us, and we'll make sure we put links to that on the website. Yes. Great. Let me ask you one other uh, question about this. Are there other threads of the freedom story? Are there similar reports on like women's history, LGBT history? Well, that's probably newer, but. I've done a lot of work
0: on women's history. As a matter of fact, when no one else seemed to be coming forward to uh do writing and programs on the centennial of full woman suffrage in new york state i said i'm going to take on that task then and so i've been doing lots of programs on that i just did one tuesday night i haven't done actually a publication on the women's history but uh i've done a lot of writing on different aspects and i'm a Advocate when I was department chair, and a reporter would contact me from outside of the immediate area and say, What are the Seneca Falls High School social studies teachers doing for Women's History Month? My comment, first of all, was, Every month is Women's History Month. Yay. It's impossible to talk about women's history, to talk about United States history, and not really infuse women's history. Throughout, And so I'm a strong proponent of that. But I do make sure that every March for Women's History Month, my local newspaper articles deal with some aspect of women's history. And in some cases, it's a big issue and a very prominent woman. And in other cases, it's a lower, perhaps, status, lower importance woman. But it's important to understand that just like in the Underground Railroad, uh, women's rights, whatever, regardless of your socioeconomic position, you do what you can if you're committed to a cause. You do what you can. It might be subscribing to publications of your belief. It might be signing petitions of your belief. It might be just simply expressing your comments to your local elected officials and so on. Uh, what you, you do what you can to promote your cause.
2: When we come back, more of our visit to Waterloo, New York, birthplace of the Memorial Day commemorations and 19th century sanctuary city with our guest and guide, Seneca County historian Walter Gable, here on the Janice Adams Show. As we go to break, Mike Seeger performs before a live audience at the Library of Congress the 1840s Song of the Coffle Gang, also known as Stolen Souls from Africa.
1: We are stolen souls from Africa Transported to America like calls and sheep Were marched and drove To bear the heat And endure the cold See how they take us From our wives Small children From their mother's side They take us Some foreign land makes slaves to wait on gentlemen. Almost barefooted, here we be Suffer the lash, endure the pain Exposed to snow, both wind and rain Oh, Lord, have mercy and look down the African, up on our knees, pour out our grief, and pray to God for some relief.
0: weight Wait-Wait, Dulce Sloan volunteered to be the person to stop all men from doing dumb men things. No, 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 no.
4: As soon as he starts
2: acting a fool, I just hit him with, sir! And it will stop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm Peter Sagal. Join us as we come to you from Tanglewood with a real live audience on this week's Wait-Wait from NPR.
1: Sunday morning at 10 on Radio Cat.
2: We're back here on the Janice Adams Show, continuing along the path through history to Waterloo, New York, with Walter Gable, Seneca County's official historian, as our guide and as our road less traveled brings us to a surprising intersection.
0: Turn around anywhere you want. Now, here we actually are, the Thomas and Mariah Jackson house here on North Walnut Street. Uh, And as they say, it's just so great that the house is still being used as a residence. So it's a kind of a living history in that sense, I guess. And uh, this is still a very, very quiet but important residential neighborhood kind of environment. Well, my
2: question, since you mentioned them, was he ever Captured, or, or was he able to live out his? He was never
0: captured. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't, and I think I would know if he were. Uh, of course, he was illiterate, and so all of the deed transactions that he engages in, he just has to sign with an X. And from here, we're going to be going to South Seneca Street, uh, and we'll see where. T- Thomas and Mariah Jackson lived later now this South Seneca Street neighborhood was predominantly white but it were was middle-class working-class people many families in this neighborhood were actually uh, involved in abolitionist efforts in general We have masons and carpenters and so on like that, working class people. But even though they were white, you see, they are supporting of the uh, anti-slavery movement. And so Thomas and Mariah Jackson could feel comfortable living here in this neighborhood,
2: even though it was predominantly white. So which is then probably why Waterloo the Black Uh, nucleus is just a block away yes yes
0: okay and the actual house is going to be the white brick house up here on the left now just beyond our two little signs
2: so they sold their house that we saw their first home and then they bought this is his name on this one
0: Uh, no the house the house was in the wife's name the house right over here reverend samuel gridley came to the presbyterian church in seneca falls in waterloo excuse me as an anti-slavery person and continued to do that here in waterloo the years that he was pastor and he was one of the key people in organizing the seneca county anti-slavery society yes we'll go right you mentioned Jermaine logan where did he come from You know, I don't know exactly where in the South he was from, but typically many of the African Americans that were escaping slavery and coming North were actually in the more Northern states. That's a common misconception that I think many people have that all of the freedom seekers went to Canada. Well, those that were in the deep South states, such as Mississippi, they're not likely to make that long trek all the way North to Canada. They will go to... uh, Cuba and islands in the Caribbean or to Spanish Mexico which had all those areas had abolished slavery and so therefore they could be free in that sense by being
2: there One of the points that Americans do not that we don't realize is that at the point where we're talking about slavery here we're talking about fugitive slaves we're hunting down people almost for their pelts because of the color of their skin. Mexico actually has elected the first African-American president. Great point, you know, right on.
0: It's just like with regards to women's rights when I was teaching.
2: We are actually passing a sign that says women's rights, historic site, a historic sign with the arrow pointed forward. if
0: If you take a left here, we'll just do, do a couple of blocks diversion and I'll actually take you past the Thomas and Marianne McClintock house and so you can you can see where Jermaine Logan stayed that first night after the Jerry rescue incident that he's on his way to. Can I take a right here?
2: So he
0: actually lived here? No, he lived in Syracuse, but he was friends with the McClintocks. He knew that they would welcome him, and it's the brick house coming right up here on the right. Of course, it's owned today by the uh, Women's Rights National Historical Park because of its connection to the Women's Rights Convention. It was here on Sunday, July 16th, that Elizabeth Cady Stanton came with her draft of the Declaration of Sentiments and the 11 resolutions to be... Presented at the Seneca Falls convention on the 19th and 20th because she wanted the McClintock ladies, especially the older McClintock daughter, Elizabeth, who had been a school teacher, to go through it and make sure it was all worded in proper grammar and so on, like that. But it's this very house where Jermaine Logan stayed the first night on his way to Canada after the Jerry rescue. And the story is that he didn't sleep much that night. Another person that was in the household at the time said that he paced the floor most of the night with his gun in his hand, that he would rather go down fighting than be apprehended and have to return as a fugitive slave. Uh, And so this is a very historic place. The McClintock House, as they say, they were activists in reform within the... Quaker church, they were activists in terms of anti-slavery activity, and they're very much in the forefront in the women's rights movement.
2: In that one house, what touches me so much is that we see embodied that connection between African American rights and women's rights and we then in one house fuse those and understand that it's all human rights. So
0: I say there probably wouldn't have been a women's rights convention in Seneca Falls in 1848 had Elizabeth Cady Stanton not been living in Seneca Falls. But in general, I say there might not have been a women's rights movement before the Civil War had there not been an anti-slavery movement. The involvement of women in the anti-slavery movement is very significant in two ways. Number one, by working in the anti-slavery movement, they learn very important leadership skills, how to organize and conduct a meeting, how to raise money in an affair for a cause. Secondly, their involvement in the anti-slavery movement, their consciousness of their inferiority to men, is a logical conclusion to draw when you see how whites were mistreating blacks. And so those two things are very crucial for the women's rights movement. Please restate the date. It was here on Sunday, July sixteenth, 1848, that Elizabeth Cady Stanton came with her draft of the Declaration of Sentiments and the 11 resolutions. That was exactly one week after the actual date that Jane Master Hunt invited Lucretia Mott, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Martha Coffin Wright, and Mary Ann McClintock to tea at the Hunt House when they decided that they were going to call a women's rights convention. That was July 9th. This was the first time that Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott had met each other since London in 1840 at the World Anti-Slavery Convention when Lucretia Mott was not seated as a delegate simply because she was a female. And Elizabeth and Lucretia became good friends quickly and they said, when we get back to the United States and get settled, we're going to do something about this inferior status of women. Well, when they gather for tea July 9th, 1848, very quickly they decide, we'll call a women's rights convention. One week later, they come here to this. Elizabeth comes here to the House with a draft of the Declaration of Sentiments and the resolutions to get ready for a presentation of those documents on Wednesday, July 19th.
2: And the actual convention in Seneca Falls takes place?
0: The actual convention takes place at the Wesleyan Chapel on July 19th and July 20th, 1848. The Wesleyan Chapel was a church congregation that had been established deliberately as an anti-slavery Protestant church, one of over 240 so-called come-outer churches that arose in the mid-1830s because of the belief that churches needed to take a strong stand against slavery. And those abolitionists with those strong beliefs that were called ultra-abolitionists, and when they couldn't get their church, whichever congregation it was, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, when they couldn't get their own congregation by at least a majority to favor a strong stand against slavery, they were willing to leave their own congregation and coalesce into a come-outer church such as a Wesleyan Methodist congregation, which had as its main goal to be anti-slavery.
2: Extraordinary. I know they got the idea to do this, inspired by the 1840 convention in London. But do you know when they actually began planning this convention so that they could have it in July 19th? Well,
0: they gather for tea at the home of Jane Master Hunt on Sunday, July 9th. Elizabeth Cady Stanton has, this is 1848, Elizabeth Cady Stanton has moved her family from Boston to Seneca Falls only the previous year. And in, in Boston, she had enjoyed a very active social political circle of friends, prominent speakers, writers, and intellectuals of the day. and in, But they moved to from Boston because the doctor told Henry that, that maritime climate is not good for your health. For health reasons, you need to get away from the coast. And so Elizabeth Cady Stanton's father owned property in Seneca Falls, and he deeded property some of it to Elizabeth, and they set up this household. But Elizabeth is having children, but she's finding that motherhood and running a household is not the same as that active social-political circle she's enjoyed in Boston. So when they gather at the Jane Hunt house on Sunday, July ninth, 1848, Elizabeth starts telling about how she's unhappy, this isolated environment. And very quickly, Lucretia and of course her realized, well, in 1840, we had vowed we were going to do this. And so it was easy for them to almost immediately decide, well, now's the time to do it. Lucretia, you're here in the area for the summer because your sister Martha Cotham Wright's going to have a baby. Uh, I'm here. Let's do it. And so they just sit right down right away and they
2: draft a notice to put in the local newspaper. What I'm struck by though is the time and the efficiency of it because so they anybody who objects has the post office to blame for their efficiency at the time. The but the question becomes like what newspapers did they advertise in? Was it the Liberator?
0: It was in the Seneca County Courier a newspaper that came out twice a week. And so it appeared on July 11th and then again July 14th. But it also appeared in Frederick Douglass publications and so on. But you see, they could very quickly decide that they were going to have this and think that they could confidently pull it off because they've been involved in the anti-slavery movement and they've learned these leadership skills that I was talking about is uh, on it. Elizabeth Cady Stanton is brilliant. She can see. She sees the big picture. She sees the details. She realizes we've got to have some documents to present, you know, so that we really focus what it is that people are to be doing. And, you know, not just simply discussing, but come up with something. And so she realizes, you know, rather easily, well, I can take the whole concept of the Declaration of Independence And modify it as a Declaration of Sentiments for Women, you know, that all men and women are created equal, that great uh, social contract theory premise. But where the Declaration of Independence is predominantly a list of grievances against the King of England, it's going to be very easy for her to articulate a whole list of grievances that women have
2: because of actions of men. Absolutely. Thank you for, for that, because we what we have gotten, especially just in this moment, is so rich. Thank you so much, dear friend. Thank you. My pleasure. Daughters of Freedom, a 19th century ode to women's suffrage, to the rights of us all, to dignity and respect. Janice Adams show Walter Gable Seneca County historian has been our guest and guide through Waterloo our thanks to him and to you for joining us today this episode of the show was recorded with travel consideration provided by I Love New York for more about today's show including a picture of the Jimmy Rescue Monument and links to the people places and music mentioned on the show visit my website JanusAdams.com That's J-A-N-U-S-A-D-A-M-S.com. From the studios of WJFF Radio Catskill post-production Jason Dole, this show is a production of Janus Adams LLC, all rights reserved.
1: Trying to make it real compared to what...
3: Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college, with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978, homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com, and from listener donations at wjffradio.org.
0: Support for Radio Catskill comes from the NeverSync General Store, featuring an award-winning chef, smoked barbecue year-round, local products, and catering. Now offering takeout. Neversinkgeneralstore.com. And from listeners like you. WJFF Jeffersonville. We are Radio Catskill. The New Urban Jazz Lounge, where we celebrate music, but in particular contemporary jazz with touches of
2: urban and Brazilian flavors. My name is Bob Baldwin. Always a pleasure to hang out with you. It's a pleasure to uh, come back every week and play some very cool music for you. And we've got more of the
1: same this week.
3: Tuesday night at 9 on Radio Catskill.
1: Hello and welcome to Staying Home. Your revolutionary guide to the Green New Deal I'm Josh Fox coming to you from the heart of the
0: Catskills radio Catskill WJFF hey everyone today I'm talking with one of my heroes heroines the great Marianne Williamson a a woman uh, who I